Lately, it seems that we are getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go. Hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now, because you are the church. Now go and be the church. The church is Christ's beloved. The church is Christ's beloved. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, And hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, to the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. That's Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. Last week we recognized Christ is the authoritative head, not the source, because all things have been placed under His feet. So as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, we're going to be looking at a second image of the church that's found in Ephesians. That it is Christ's beloved. The assumption here is that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit work together in absolute harmony, unity, and intention. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God... But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love. He didn't say for His love, Brother Al. He said for His great love, wherewith He loved us. The image of the church as Christ's beloved is in a direct extension of verse 23 of chapter 1 which identifies the church as the body of Christ. In the following seven verses, we find nine personal pronouns, which I'm going to be reading to you. You, we, and us, describing the church and its relationship to the Lord. So if I go back to verse 1, it says, And you, hath he quickened, hath he made alive. Have you walked into a church that's just deader than a doornail? I have. I'm captured by your holy calling. Mold me, make me, transform me. When we become a dead church, He's no longer using you, we, and us. 
As I said last week, having a church that they want to use as a rec hall, God forbid. The church is supposed to be alive for His worship and His glory. It's kind of like a birthday party. Thank you, Lord, for bringing this to mind. You know, you have a birthday party. You, you go to that birthday party, you present those gifts at the birthday party, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the special someone that's turning of, uh, of a certain age receives those gifts, and that focus is solely upon them. You went there to celebrate that day for that individual. I look at the church the same way. Every Lord's Day, it is His celebration. Where we come together as a body of believers to worship Him, to praise Him. Not to worry about what the temperature is. Not to worry about the lighting in the church. Or the adjustment of the sound of my mic. Or is... Am I just eloquently presenting the wonderful gospel in a way that it's just soothing to your ears? Or better yet, should we have piped in music or should we not have piped in music? Should we have, you know, a wanna this way or a wanna that way? Should we have a fellowship cafe or should we not have a fellowship cafe? When we go to a birthday party, do we worry about if it's white or dark chocolate cake? If it's the buttercream or if it's the whipped topping? No, you eat it. Right? Amen. We have become so self-centered and selfish in the church that we have forgotten the bigger picture. And that is lost souls for Jesus Christ. But I don't like the way preacher addressed me. Well, really? It wasn't about you that day. Come on, preach it, Pastor. Okay, I will. I'm had it up to here. And for those that are listening on this podcast, that means my hand is above my head. That means I am sick and tired of being sick and tired of self-centered, selfish Christians. Where everybody's so worried about the building instead of the body. Wow, that wasn't in my notes. So I'm here to tell you today that we have got to get back to a a live church where it says, and you hath he quickened, has made alive. Woo! Get excited! We have lost our excitement. We've lost our passion for our Savior. We've lost our passion for the cross. We've lost our passion for souls. Wham! On you. I've made up my mind as the pastor of New Hope Christian Fellowship. I'm here by a divine calling like that song says. I'm not here because I filled out a resume and I decided to put down, these are my wants and my needs and you better meet it. I'm here as your pastor because God called me to North Hill, Ohio. That's why I'm here. And if I was here for anything else, God forbid. We need to be alive. 
You know, as I was thinking about preaching on the church, which I said last week that I've never done, it's really convicting me. Convicting me to get away from the church of all the frills and the thrills to get back to the basics of the Word of God. And we as Christians say we're Christians, but we don't live it. Because Christian means Christ's likeness. Christian means being quickened, made alive in the body of Christ. Amen? And we've all of a sudden grabbed a pillow and we've grabbed our sleeping bag and we've crawled up in there and we've grabbed the big teddy bear and decided that we're going to get cozy and sit back and relax. Well, let me tell you something. The day of relaxing is over. Because God did not call you into His church, into the kingdom of heaven, to sit back and relax. You have a work to do. And we must build the kingdom of heaven. And when we lose sight of what our responsibility is, then we've lost sight of the church, the body of Christ. So, that being said, I'm going to move on. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course, according to the age of the past, that's what it means, of this world, according to the sinful nature of the world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others." But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sin, He quickened. Wow, there's that word again. He quickened. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. In the passage we read in verse 4 where it said, But God. Everything stops and revolves around the declaration, But God. No circumstances, condition, problem, difficult, or even impossibility is a matter for this simple yet profound idea, but God. When Noah faced the flood, all would have been lost, but God. When Abraham stood in the precipice of losing Isaac, but God. When Joseph could have reaped revenge, but God. When Moses faced the Red Sea in front of Pharaoh's army behind. But God. When David, the shepherd boy, faced Goliath. But God. When the world was lost and hell bound. But God. No circumstances a model for the truth contained in that one simple declaration. But Now consider four insights that help us understand the truth that the church is Christ's beloved. And Paul tells us 
who God is. Paul also tells us what we were. Now Paul tells us what God did. And then Paul also tells us why God did it. And I want to read, I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And it says this as we talk about the church. There is one body and one spirit even as you are called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Isn't that wonderful? That's the church. Let's pray. Father, bless the next few minutes together. Father, bless your word. Father, and I pray that, Father God, that you'll just pour out your Spirit upon this service. That, Lord, we will see you do a work and cause a revival to take place. That, Lord, as we embrace your beloved, that, Lord, it won't just be a building made by hands, but it'll be a body that's alive in you. Father, forget all the other elements of the church. But, Father, may we come before you with a grateful heart and an outstretched arm to worship you. But God, if it wasn't for you, we would be bound for hell. Father, thank you for your word today and bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, I'm going to break it down for you this morning. And hopefully you'll have an understanding of the church, the body. Remember, I'm talking to you as an individual today. And I want you to be challenged as an individual today. That as we open up God's word, and you know, and it does. It saddens me to look around an auditorium to think that we have put the church on the back burner. God gives us commandments by which the Jews follow, and that's the law in the Old Testament. We as new believers are under grace, and that's the New Testament church. But let's not forget where he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together, such is. As Leslie said, for where I am in the midst where two or more are gathered, I'm there as well. I'm there with you. And today as we look at it, who God is. I am who I am. Verse 4, as we read in Ephesians 2, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, who is His great love. When Moses fell on his face at the burning bush visitation, God revealed Himself as Yahweh or Jehovah. And that actually means I am who I say I am. A professor once who made the observation that this might well be translated, I will be who I have been. In other words, God reveals his nature by his activity. Paul is saying the same thing to the church. God has expressed his nature. He is rich in mercy. Because of God's mercy, there is hope for the hopeless. There is cleansing from sin's curse. There is deliverance from the power of the demonic. And there is an escape from the tentacles of evil. God, Paul tells us, is rich and wealthy in mercy. Not only has God expressed His nature, He's also allowed us to see the essence of His nature. 
And it says in there, because of his great love with which he loved us. Why does God act like he acts? Because of his love. Why is God so patient? Because of his love. Why is God kind? Why is God faithful? And why is God so merciful? Because of his love. Thank you. It is the driving continual attribute of God's nature. Romans 10.12 says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, nor the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Paul tells us that God's love is great and God himself loves us. This love has demonstrated or was demonstrated in the Father's willingness to send Christ to the cross and Christ's willingness to endure the cross. And when Jesus went to the cross, the scripture tells us, the Father laid on him the iniquity of us all. As Paul testifies, he knew no sin because sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Here Paul tells us who God is. He is the one who was driven by his unconditional, uncompromising, and unwavering love, and we are its object. 1 John chapter 4, if you'll turn there, 1 John 4, verses 7 through 9. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 9. You all heard messages that says God is love. Well, this morning, I want you to realize that we understand that he's love. He is the church. And if he's love, then we must mirror his love and have the same attribute and attitude and characteristics that we see in him. So it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, comma, Knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. We know... And we have known and believe the love that God hath to us. God is. And he that dwelleth in, dwelleth in God. And God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in the world. I want to keep reading because I like these verses. There's no fear in love for perfect love casts out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, 
that he would loveth God love his brother also. Ready for altar call? Because that's a convicting message right there in those verses. Do you understand what that says? The first commandment of law requires that we love and worship God as he truly is. Here's where we've missed it. Here's where we're failing in our church today in the body. Don't look at me and tell me you love me and turn around and stab me in the back. You hear what I'm saying? Don't sit there and talk about the body of Christ when you all of a sudden say, Oh, I love that church and I'm just so... It's across America and I'm not just talking about here. I'm using reference as a whole. Can you hit the air for me, please? Thank you. I won't freeze you out here. I'll be conscientious. But the reality today is this. If you say you love me and yet you do not love me, God's not in you. Be careful who you say you love. Because I'm tired of this. I want to see more of this. Does your walk match your talk? We as Christians, listen to me, church, when I say this. Quit worrying about all the extras. The air-conditioned seats. The automatic. The tilted steering wheel. The mirror that changes when high beams hit the mirror. That's what it reminds me in the church. Let's start being more focused on the kingdom. And we as a body, if we're focused more on souls and people, nothing else will matter. Let revival start to do something within you. Let it start to just bubble up within your soul so that you can get excited and start telling people about Christ. Operation Christmas Child is right around the corner. Donnie and Renee are working hard to get that prepared and going. That's administering and that's outreach in the church. That's the body. Teenagers... All of you, listen to me closely. You have a responsibility to get involved. On the way to church this morning, Megan and Lindsay said, Dad, we want to start serving downstairs. And Maddie and Megan were serving and helping Leslie last week, and she was so grateful for that. And you know what I said to them? I said, girls, ministry starts right now. That's when you get involved in the body of Christ. I'm going to tell you, and this is how I feel. If a man comes in and he sits right there in that seat, and all of a sudden, he does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he has a baby, and that baby's rolling all over him, rolling around on the floor, throwing a fit, and he never comes to Jesus Christ, God forbid. Because that man needed somebody to work in a children's chapel area or in a nursery or in a toddler room. And I'm going to say for what it is because I'm speaking the truth and the Lord just brought it to my mind. If you have nursery duty, toddler duty, children's chapel duty, whatever your responsibility is, just do it. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. You're the body. 
The brain tells my feet to move. They're supposed to walk. It's telling my brain's telling my feet right now, put your right foot forward and balance your body so that I can stand up before you today. My brain's telling my, my mouth to move so that I can talk before you. You must work together. That's Christ's beloved. We realize who God is. He is love. Quit sitting back. Get involved. Let God do something. And I'm going to tell you how I feel. My face was swelled. My eyes were almost swelled shut. man from this church looked at me and said, Pastor, you look terrible. I said, I feel terrible. I had a funeral this week. One of the Nepali in the fellowship passed away. And I'm glad that I went. Yes, I kept my sunglasses on. It was slightly awkward. And God, it was outside and because my eyes were all puffed up. But do you realize that I actually was so encouraged because here's what took place. As I watched them participate in the first Christian funeral they've ever had, you have to realize they're Hindu. That I stand there as a representative of Jesus Christ to confirm with each one of them that that body is just a shell and that the Spirit has now ascended into heaven and is in heaven with God the Father and we will all have that great reunion day with that Spirit. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I'm excited that I can just stand there and say, I'm here to tell, today to tell you I believe in a God who loves me. See, I didn't preach that funeral. I was just there as a support. I picked them up in my vehicle and I took them there and I spent six hours with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. When you get involved and you minister and you say, I love you, how would anyone in the Nepali fellowship think if Pastor Todd never showed up for anything? I know what the scripture says, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it says, if I say I love my brother and I don't show love to him, God's not in me. Isn't that what I just read? So I have to be there to show love to my brother and sister. 90% of giving is you being here. 90% of being part of the church is you sitting in your pew. Because today, your pastor spent some time to put together a message. And I'm grateful that you're here to receive God's word. I really am. I told my wife, I said, I understand if there's 10 people there or if there's 50 people there or if there's 1,300. God's word's still going to be open and it's going to be brought to you. That's what's exciting. So this morning, realizing that we must love God and worship Him. So we realize who God is. Let me move on. Paul also tells us what we were. This is not a pretty picture. In rapid strokes of a pen, Paul lays out the brutal facts. And here's what he says. You were dead in your trespasses in sin. Verse 1. You formerly walked according to Satan's direction. Verse 2. And in line with Satan's spirit which even now 
controls the disobedient. Now Paul says all of us, himself included, were locked into this sin in a cursed trap. Here's a sobering reminder of the total sinfulness and lostness from which believers have been redeemed. The word in there says, in, indicates the realm or sphere in which unregenerate sinners exist. They are not dead because of sinful acts that have been committed, but because of their sinful nature. Come alive, church! We have sat back and allowed the church to deteriorate. And it says in His Word that we've walked according to Satan's direction. Wow. We've walked in the ways of the old man. When people meet me, if I start acting like the world, looking like the world, talking like the world, then the love of God is not in me. So what does God's Word say? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And here's what it reads. And I want you to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. says this in verse 16. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will make your home a tabernacle, a house. And walk in them and I will be their God. T-H-E-I-R. That's personal. And they shall be my people. Verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them and be a separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We formerly lived by the controls and the lusts of our flesh indulged in the desires of our flesh and the desires of a darkened mind. In essence, here's what Paul is actually writing. We were by nature children of wrath, deserving God's wrath, even as the rest of lost humanity. But God, we would have stayed that way, but God acted. He demonstrated His rich mercy. Why? Because of His great love for us. In short, we are His beloved. We are the objects of His great love. That's who we were because that is who God is. Isn't that awesome? Say glory. Glory. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God acted. When I think about coming out and being separate, 
Don't approach me, Pastor, because the first time you come to me and tell me to be separate because I'm in some leadership position, God forbid. Because you know what I'm going to do to you? I'm going to make your life miserable and I'm going to leave the church because you told me that I shouldn't and I shouldn't and I shouldn't. I'm not telling you you should do anything. Did I just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6? It says, come out from among them and be a separate. Did it also say, be not children of the world? Do not take on the old sinful natures of the world? Hello? I've sat back and encouraged the church to do what? Abuse me. Well, it's stopping. I'd rather have a church that loves God with all their heart. Because I know one thing for certain. I want to be a pastor that God will look down upon and say, you are my son. You are my child. And I love you. Because that's what his word says. He's my father. And just as you have earthly children, and some of your children in here, you should do all you can to please your earthly father. But more than anything, you should do all you can to please your heavenly father that's the relationship that you have in christ i'm not saying all this because this is todd speaking i'm saying it because it's god speaking i'm trying to support god's word to tell you live a holy and righteous life church now paul tells us what god did Here's what he says. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he made us alive together with Christ. Now I'm going to go back to Ephesians. And it's actually in verses 5 and 6. And that's what he says. He has quickened us together with Christ by grace he is saving us, raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Isn't it, just think about this, isn't it great when everybody's getting along in the family and everybody comes to the dining room table and you all get to love and laugh and just eat and sup together? I surely don't want to sit and sup in the heavenly place with my heavenly Father who's disappointed in me. I want to be a body. I want to be the limb to the body. I want to be the one that's actively involved. And I'm not just saying here, church. I'm saying in the world in the community. Benod, here's what he said to me. He's from our Nepali fellowship. He said, Pastor, and this was just on Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday. He said, you know, Pastor, I really feel that our Bhutanese and Nepali brothers and sisters have lost their focus. And I said, why? He said, I believe they've lost their focus because now they're Americanized. Do you know, just a year ago, you know, I've only been here for, what, almost two years, and some of them have only been here six months. Do you know I know some of them personally? They would walk one and a half hours to church. They would walk one and a half hours to sense the presence and spirit. And he said, if the church, listen to me closely, this is a man who was Hindu, who was born again, who is now a Christian. He said to me just a couple days ago, if the church, the body of believers, do not embrace the love of God, my 
children will not know who Christ is. Because the Nepali Fellowship now is so Americanized, I can't get them out of bed to jump in my car and drive four blocks up the street. That's sad. What's God going to do to America? And I stand before you today to tell you what God did. He sent His Son so that we could live alive together with Christ. That is God's supernatural intervention. Paul tells us that God made us alive, raised us up, and seated us with Christ in heavenly places. Where? In Christ Jesus. Here is the Lord Jesus in heaven and He says, I want you to come sit next to me. What a powerful thought. Friend, this, Paul tells us, what God's grace does at its grace, greatest. Grace loved us, extended mercy to us, convicted us and drew Christ to us and drew us to Christ. And in its completion brought salvation. Hallelujah. Yet if you are like me, you tend to see yourself in all of your shortcomings, your failures, your sins, your habits, and your mess. And you ask yourself this pivotal question as we conclude. Why would God do all that for me? Why would God take a sinful people, save them, clean them up, make them brand new and bring them into His family and declare that they are His beloved? Paul tells us why God did it. He says it in verse 7, Ephesians chapter 2 that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Paul tells us that God did all of this in order that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In short, God says, I did all this so you will know who I am And what is in my heart? Salvation, of course, is very much for the believer's blessings, but is even more for the purpose of eternally glorifying God, for bestowing on believers His endless and limitless grace and kindness. All of heaven glorifies Him for what He has done in saving sinners. At the core of the supernatural heart that governs the entire universe is a flawless, unlimited heart of love. And this great God says, You, church, are my beloved. You understand that? And as I stand before you, I am moved within my spirit. And I could stand up here and weep before this congregation. To think we've lost our focus. We've lost who we are. We've lost why He came and died 
for mankind. Quit worrying about what others think. Quit worrying about how you're going to get back at me. Or you're going to get back at somebody else in the church. And start worrying about God and your relationship with Him. I want to read out of Revelation. And I want to finish with this text. Revelation chapter 7. And it's verses 9 through 12. Revelation chapter 7. Verse 9 through 12. And I want you to think who you are that you are His beloved. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds of every tribe and people, and of every tongue and of every language, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood around about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne and their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I come before you today with a humble spirit and with a heart of gratitude for the love that you've bestowed upon your church. And Father, as I come before you, I ask for your forgiveness for losing my focus. And Lord, as I cry out before you, that as we're seated in heavenly places, Lord, that you'll help us to come to a place where, Lord, you'll be happy and you'll be grateful for the position that we have. Lord, that we've loved you so much and that we've done all we can to continue to build your church. And that, Lord, you'll look down and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, at the end of our life, and as we quote the words that are found in Acts 20, 24, as Paul said, that I've finished this course with joy that the Lord's given to me. Lord, help each and every one of us to reflect upon your word today and to remember the importance of your word. And that we're not here for man. We're here for you. 
We're here to do your work. So help us stay focused and help us stay kingdom-minded and lead us back to the foot of the cross. Help us to trust in you. Father, we give you the glory and we thank you for the privilege that we have as human beings to bow our knee before you. Lord, may your spirit be upon us. Bless your church and convict this body. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.